smooth sailing for you. Um, if you missed last week, I want to catch you up with uh, kind of what, we, what I talked about last week. And I think it's this mic right here. You can hear me pretty pretty well today, I think. Yeah. We'll catch up from uh, from last week's sermon, and, and really I'll preach or we'll kind of recap last week's sermon in about two minutes for you, which some of you may be thinking, why didn't you just do that last week, clown? And then we could have saved a lot of, a lot of time. Um, so last week we focused on two verses, really I guess one verse that, that we really think is key, and it's this verse that many believe David wrote. It's a psalm from Psalm 42, and it's a very familiar verse. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's a very, very coffee cup sounding verse. It's a very nice verse. Seems very, sounds very cute. And usually the image we have of this verse is of a nice doe or buck drinking water next to a nice stream. And we covered this at, at length last week. But there's agony in this verse. It really, you know, the, uh, from, from Psalm 63, 1, where David writes, we know David wrote this one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you dry and weary land where there is no water. So really the image that we need to think about when we read even as the deer pants for streams of water is not of a not an image of a deer drinking water, but rather an image of a deer in the desert that's dying for, for water. It's craving water. And David says, that's how my soul feels for you, is this longing for God, this longing for communion with you, for relationship with God. And then we gave some examples, focused on some examples last week of biblically men and women have longed for, yearned for more of God, longed for, desired communion, relationship with God, desired to be used by God. Right before we finished, we focused on how even creation longs for and waits with eager expectation for the, the sons of God, the children of God to be revealed. So creation, we even finished in, in Revelation, waiting to be renewed, waiting to be restored, his rightful relationship with God before the fall. So then our question, we packaged all that together in about 30 minutes, and then we ended with, why don't you and I have that same longing for God? Maybe sometimes we do, but why don't we all the time? Like what keeps us from having that longing? In fact, we talked about this in our young adult Sunday school class last Sunday, and, then, and kind of the counter question was, what doesn't keep us from longing for God and salvation? It seems like everything anything can be a distraction to that. So that was the question last week. Why don't you and I long for more of God? If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Ezekiel 14. We'll just go 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at all, just take that one with you and keep it. If you do have one at home, leave that one here. I don't want to add to your collection. But if you need a Bible, you're welcome to take one one home with you. I want to pray first, and then we'll dive in to, uh, to this answer a little bit, and then we'll unpack it, and we'll find a little bit more in Ezekiel 14. But let's pray. God, again, I give you thanks for this day. God, would you speak now and move me out of the way? I pray I'll go as far as you allow me to go and no further. Would you give me the discernment to know when to press in and the discernment to know when to relent? And God, I pray above all things you glorify in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So why don't we long for God more than we do? Or some of us maybe at all. Why don't we yearn for, for more of God? One answer that we're going to focus on today, and then when you hear this term, and, we, and you see maybe the heading in your, in your, uh, in your text from Ezekiel 14, uh, this message is not as mean or as nice as you might think, okay, as when, I, when I tell you these words. But why don't we long for and yearn for more of God? Uh, one answer is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, we're going to unpack.
and we'll go through a couple of little crevices of our lives, but, but idolatry. So what does God say about, about idols? Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Jeremiah 2, 5, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Jeremiah 3.23 Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Jonah 2.8 Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Habakkuk 2.18 Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it? Or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Uh, now, there is a difference between worshiping an idol, right? worshiping something that is wood and stone, and setting up idols in our lives. And so this is specifically referring to bowing down to an idol, bringing food, bringing money, bringing sacrifice, offering of any kind to a block, a brick, a stick, a statue, Believe it or not, I've seen I've seen that in some of my travels overseas. I've seen uh, little little like little shoebox temples in restaurants on the street corner, and people can burn incense there. They'll they'll you'll see avocados or oranges. I don't know, maybe it's tangerines. I'll get those confused. But there'll be oranges. Uh, it'll get people will read coins there. They'll, they'll, in fact, I've seen people buy an extra entree at dinner and then go put it in front of this statue just outside of a restaurant. And these little restaurants are, are you know you see them almost everywhere. About as like we would see a stop sign or something. People are bringing and worshiping these idols and, and, and bowing down and serving these idols. And, and yet, you know, you and I don't we don't really worship idols, you know, that way. There is such thing as idolatry and, and idol worship. But there's also another idolatry in the Bible where, where God talks about setting up idols in our hearts. Where you're not necessarily bowing down and sacrificing, you know, food or, or, or whatever. You're not giving to an idol, but you can set up idols in your heart. And so when we are want to argue with ourselves and we want to justify ourselves and say, well, I'm not an idolater. Here, here's what I would say back to, to that argument. And, and trust me, I'm speaking to me as, as, just like I'm speaking to you. But I feel like if I say we struggle with this, it will dilute the message a little bit for you. So I'm going to talk directly to you just for these little you know, four or five little sentences. But to the argument where we would want to justify ourselves and say, I'm not an idolater. You have loved other things more than him, him being God. You have loved things, other things more than God. That can be your spouse, that can be a child, that can be your job, money, fill in the blank. You have loved stuff more than God. Your house, your car, etc. You have pursued other things more than him. You have held on to other things more than him, whether that's memories or traditions or sins, whether it's uh, holding on to a sin that we've committed back in our teen years or in our, in our late 20s or young adult years or 30s, even if you're older, and that's kind of robbed us of this, of, of an intimacy with the Lord. It's robbed us of joy in the Lord, and we can't forgive ourselves for all of a sudden we say, so clearly God won't forgive us if we can't forgive ourselves, and that's the lie you'll tell yourself. You'll hold on to some past mistake more than you'll hold on to the promise that God is good and he's forgiven you for your sins he can redeem you and restore that. You'll seek him for that. But no, no, no. Our moral compass is, I'm disgusted with him, so God must be disgusted. And we'll hold on to a past decision, a past sin, more than we'll hold on to the promises of God. You have
have chosen other things instead of him. And you, I, we have worshipped louder and on deeper levels other things. You can go to a concert and the person on the stage can say, I can't hear you in the back. And we'll sing louder as if the person on stage can hear us. And yet we won't sing the hymns louder. You can go to our favorite team's game and we'll chant hoping that the players will hear it, be motivated, and and give us good things. We may not even say a creed in front of them, but just the net will probably fall off. And yet we'll wish to a creed that says, hey, God, we're doing something for you. We just played it, and we'll sing it again at the end of the service. Come thou fount, and and there's there's a verse in come thou fount, which I can relate to more than any other verse in, in the entire hymnal. And that's prone to wonder, Lord, I fear, prone to lean, but God, I love you. And we are. We're prone to want to make a God out of something and pursue this thing more than God. We're prone to want to leave the God that we that we maybe even deep down do love and to find ourselves drifting away and pursuing something else or someone else more than Him. So how does God respond to us when we have when we set up idols in our lives? Let's look at Ezekiel 14. We'll go one through six. Some of the elders of Israel came to me, me being Ezekiel and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me and their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. So before you feel chewed up and spit out and beaten up today at church, I promise you this will end beautifully. Okay, so hang in there. We're, we're going somewhere. We'll call it progress, but we're going somewhere, and, and it'll end beautifully. To kind of sum up what was just said, Moses and Ezekiel and a couple other prophets were kind of in a similar boat where they were mediators at different seasons, different times, they were uh, mediators between God and God's chosen people, the Israelites. And so they would go to the Lord, inquire of the Lord, and they, you know, Lord, should we go to war or should we not? Should we stay here or should we not? Should we eat this food or should we not? Should we, have a, uh, should we build a tabernacle or a temple here or should we not? Should we stay here and rest or should we continue to move forward? And there was really just one person that was the mediator. It was your Moses, it was your Ezekiel, or whomever, whatever the prophet was at the time. And oftentimes God would then speak directly to that prophet, and then that prophet would go back and then say to the people, Thus saith the Lord. Well, on this account, on this occasion, the elders of Israel approach Ezekiel, and they want Ezekiel to go and inquire of the Lord on their behalf. To which the Lord begins to speak right then in that moment to Ezekiel. He says, You know, these, I know why these men are here. I know why these elders are here. But I will inquire of them myself. I will speak to them directly myself. However, I will only address to them the idols in their hearts. I'll only address the thing that stands between a close relationship between them and my people. And so I think about that in my own life. I've had seasons of praying what I thought were pretty heavy prayers. They were impacting myself or my my wife. You know, should we move or should we stay here, God? Do I go to this university or this university? Do I go to this country or this country? Do I marry this girl or this girl? 
Do we have children now? Do we wait? And there were times when some of those questions, but God was silent. Could it be that the reason God was quiet is because I had set up an idol in my heart, and it really wasn't God that I, that I wanted. It wasn't God I desired. It was an answer to my question. And so maybe I've humbled myself for a season only to get the result that I wanted, and that was an answer, that, that if we did move, God would bless me in that direction. If we did go there, I'd be safe if I went there. Oftentimes, you know, maybe God would, would rather say, you know what, your question I'll deal with later. Right now, let's talk about your, your heart. And your heart's not right right now. Your heart's in the wrong sense right now. And if God were to respond to you in that moment, would you be frustrated because all you really want is the answer? Or would you be okay with it, but now you and God are talking? See, idolatry starts with a, a desire. And it's not even necessarily a sinful, wrong desire. We use, I'll use this example a lot this morning. Marriage, children, job. It's not, it's not wrong to desire to be married. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, that's, for, for me, my personal opinion, under the, 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 the definition that God has, has defined it, there's nothing wrong with seeking to be a spouse. Nothing wrong with desiring to have children. It's never happened yet. But to put this, this person, this spouse in harm's own hand, or this child of ours, or this job that we love, and over time, our hands can become closed, and we, they don't touch them. So God says yes to my prayer for a wife. God says yes to my prayer for a, a child. God says yes to a job. God says yes to whatever it is I'm praying for. He allows me to have it, and then I end up closing my hand and say, Thank you for my son. However, Lord, don't you dare call my son to minister to him. That's not right. However, my son today is two months old. After he gets his shots, I'll bring him back to church. I don't trust all you. He hasn't seen Santa Claus yet. But what happens is we close our hands to God. Lord, thank you for my spouse. Now, don't you dare take her from me. Don't you take him from me. Thank you for my children. Don't touch them. Thank you for this job. Thank you for my, my house, my car. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But don't you dare tell me to sell my car and give away all my possessions. Don't tell me to sell my house. I love my house. There's nothing wrong with loving your house. There's nothing wrong with that. Being proud of where you live. There's nothing wrong with desiring safety. You know what happens is the safety will trump God's call in our life. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go here and share the gospel because I don't know if I'll be safe here. And then this thing in our hand we clutch so tightly, our children, Lord, help us with children, our marriage, our stuff, this becomes the object of our affection. All of our striving comes, comes through this. All of our work is centered around this. Our thoughts are on whatever you hold in your hand. You say, don't you dare touch that. I told my wife this, and, and, and she says the same about me. She don't think I'm hurting her feelings. But I told her, I said, you know, no matter if, if you ever love me and pursue me more than God, your first love, more than God, may God remove me from this earth so that he can recapture your heart and give it to me. And I pray that for my son. If my son ever loves daddy more than daddy, I pray God will remove me from this earth recapture my son's heart that he needs. Now please do not hear me suggest that anytime somebody in your family passes away or a loved one passes away, I'm certainly not suggesting that God's trying to recapture the hearts of your family. I'm not suggesting that. But I know me and I know my family. I want my wife to love the Lord much more than me. I want to love the Lord much more than I love my wife. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my wife. But she will benefit if I get that today. My son will benefit if I love the Lord more than him. My family will benefit if I pursue God more than any of them. It doesn't mean that I turn my back on them. 
I don't want to. I don't want to put them up here and God here. God better be my priority right now. I want to be so sold out for Jesus that I can say and that we can say, as Paul says in Philippians three seven and eight. But whatever was to my profit, again, my marriage, my children, my job, money that we make, whatever was to my profit, my trips, my vacations, whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Compared to Christ, it's all, as good as it is, without Christ, is rubbish. And all the stuff we have, well, it'll one day be somebody else's property or it'll be in a, in a, a, yard, a garage sale, a yard sale. Whatever was to my profit, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. But what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Are you willing to lose all things for the sake of Christ? If not, you need to figure out why. If you imagine you're in heaven, and heaven is nothing but a white abyss all around you. All you can see is just white. Your family's not there. They're somewhere else in their own white abyss. You'll never see anybody else forever. But you'll have Jesus. Is he enough for you in that moment? And today you can't say he is enough. Maybe we've elevated family higher than they should. Maybe we've elevated friends higher than they should. Is Christ enough for heaven? Is Christ enough of a reward for us? Or my children had better be there. My neighbor had better be there. My spouse, my parents had better be there. Is Christ enough? Paul goes on to say, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. That is the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So everything that we do should be about testifying to God's grace. So we should. So this argument or this excuse of, man, there's nobody, there's nobody of faith in my neighborhood. Well, you're there. Somebody's there. And you don't know the people I work with. Man, I'm the only Christian that I work with. Okay, great, but you're there. Be Christ for these people. Let all your relationships be seasoned with salt. All your conversations be seasoned with salt. And the question for, for me, and I try to counsel with people as well, predominantly young adults, I'm able to talk with them and shoot the breeze with them, but this question of, you know, should I do this or should I do that? Or should I take this or should I take that? Or what about this? Well, is the job dating me or killing me? Or should I do this or should I do that? The question for me, for so long, that, like, that was my question. But in recent years, I've tried to change my question for me personally to say, it's not about should I do this or that, but rather, does this get me more of Christ? And if the answer is no, then I want nothing to do with it. Does this, whatever I'm after, does this relationship get me more of Christ? And if it doesn't, then I'll eat some of it. Does this moment, does this gathering get me more of Christ? And if it doesn't, I don't want any part of it. Do we desire God or His blessing in our life? Do we desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than we desire our house to be filled with nice things? Are we more concerned about our team winning and losing than we are the fact that our children are going to bed hungry, don't have any light, or children who could be sponsored if only you know, we cared enough and we can, we can help do things if only we cared enough to do it. And I will, as long as it doesn't require sacrifice of time, treasure, and comfort on my part. Because God only needs that. When asked to share your faith, do you respond, let me pray about it? 
what would you say? Absolutely, I will. If I asked you to share your, your testimony next Sunday, just come share behind this pulpit what God has done in your life. You don't have to execute scripture. God speaks through the people that come and lead people. Please, you don't have to do any of that. Just come share with, with the congregation what God has done in your life. Would you respond? Absolutely, I will, even though I have butterflies in my stomach. I may vomit the night before. Maybe that's gross, but it happens. Or would you say, pray about it and give me three days before I tell you no. Now simultaneously if I ask you to go have lunch today at Taco Deliveries you wouldn't labor in prayer for that. Come over and watch the game and hey, I have two extra tickets to your team's game. I'm not going, would you like to go? You would not labor, hey let me go inquire of the Lord and fast and pray for a couple days and I'll let you know if I'm going to take those tickets. You wouldn't do that. You'd look at your calendar and if you wanted to go, you would go. And yet we don't do that with the things of God. God has to call us to do something for His name's sake. And yet he doesn't call us to go to lunch. We just go get lunch when we're hungry. Why is that? What, what is that in us? Why do we act like that? If it's not idolatry, what is it? A lack of relationship with him? There's an answer to this question. I'm trying to think about it out loud. Philippians 1, 20-21, Paul says, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ should be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want to know, what do I have to do to get to that point? Well, I can say, to live here on earth, and that's for Christ, to live for the Lord. But to die, and that's gain. That's even better. So this is great. Talking about Jesus every day with you is great. But to be with Jesus and talk with Him, that's better. That'd be better. Think about those who have, who have passed this week, who we labor with. I was uh, talking with some of the family yesterday out at Forest Cemetery. And I said, you know, I, 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 maybe it's weird. I'm kind of strange. But all, oftentimes I think about my family that is, has passed on, and I believe they're in heaven with the Lord. And if I could hear them say something now, now they've been in heaven. They've already been there for a couple years, maybe years still of like eternity. I don't know how long, but it feels like they've been in heaven for that long time. But if I could hear from somebody in heaven, like I believe they would simply say, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. All, anything that you have to endure, just endure it. It's all worth it when you get to our side. It's all worth it. Because be, be busy talking about the things of God. Be busy about the Father's business because if you, really, if you really always would, if you truly loved Him, you would. And if He is not enough of a reward, then we have some soul searching to do on that one. I'll switch gears just a little bit as we begin to land the plane. Continue to talk about idolatry and a heart that sets up idols in our heart. Again, just things that we simply are not bowing down to, things that we love more and pursue more than God. But it was just as much idolatry to believe that it was up to you and your efforts to somehow appease God or make atonement for your sin. So here's the game I'm talking about. If you have a season where you don't really feel close to God, you feel like, well, I need to read more, I need to pray more, I need to tithe more, volunteer. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing sinful about those things. Those things are great. But if your motivation is, I'm going to read more or do more so that God and I will, so God will be pleased with me, then do know that in that moment, you are who you are serving, not God. Because there's no delight in what you're doing. In fact, the reason behind the, that, that behavior oftentimes because, becomes, I don't want to go to hell. And so let me pray to God and kind of humble myself this week because I screwed up last week. So let me humble myself this week so that me and so I know that me and God are okay. So I'll feel better about, about my salvation. So I'll pray longer. I'll read a little bit more. 
make sure I'm in church on Sunday, and God will be pleased with me. We're either justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not justified by that. Justified because we do those things. And I hope we can do those things, but I hope our motivation delights in Christ, not I'm trying to just white knuckle, I'm trying to get him to be pleased with me. Oftentimes our motivation is we don't want to go to hell. And yet heaven is not a place for people who are scared of hell. It's a place for people who genuinely desire God and long for him. I hope that's what you want, because in heaven that's what you'll have. If you don't like God here, you're not going to like him in heaven. You're going to have a lot of him. Romans 1, 18 through 32 in my Bible, there's a passage that says God's wrath against mankind. But what's interesting is, you know, God just says of people, you know, just, okay, go. Go chase a tomb, Satan. If you want that, then, then go. Knowing that their hearts are far from him, they weren't going to come back to him. And then Romans um, 1, verse 28 says, Their minds became depraved, and they did what ought not to be done. And this is God just saying, okay, go. Go chase the idols of your heart. Go chase that which you want to chase. And so people did, and they did what ought not to be done, is what Paul says. And I would like for us to get to the point where we can say, I will worship God until my desire for anything else fades away. I want to worship God to the point where nothing else that I love, well, I love more than Him. I want to praise God for everything I have, the things even maybe I even don't have. I want to love anything more. I want to lower Him. I want to elevate my marriage or my job or my car. Sing with me tonight, would you? Would that okay with that? Cheer us up a little bit. Is that okay? If not, we can continue down here. <laughs> we'll end with some country music. Jeremiah 32, 40. This is God's response to his children. His children, the Israelites, his people. When they have said, and by the way, the Israelites are not known for uh, being uh, very obedient people. They're uh, very faithful people. They're idolatrous, adulterous people, kind of like stiff-necked wicked people. Constantly, uh, they have they see God in the, in the fire and the pillar of smoke, and then they're over here making a calf so they can worship a, a gold, an image of gold. And so God's response to his children, his people, his chosen people, he says this in Jeremiah 32, 40. He says, I will never stop being good to you. Again, referring to his people, his children, those he has uh, for us now, after Christ, those who God has justified and adopted as, as sons and daughters of his. God says of us, I will never stop being good to you. Isaiah 29, 13 and 14. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, don't miss this part. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish and heads of intelligence will vanish. So God's response to our worship at times that is just made up of nothing but rules and lip service, but when our hearts aren't, aren't, aren't into it, God's response is, I'll never stop being good to you. And I will astound them once again with wonder upon wonder. He's a God who never stops pursuing us. And praise God that he pursues us in the aftermath of the garden. After the fall, God comes back to the garden pursuing Adam and Eve. Praise God that in our unfaithfulness, in our hypocrisy, He's long-suffering with us. Promising, I'll never stop doing good to you since you are my child. And lastly, 
Romans 8 and 1, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I always want to couple that with that certainly does not mean that I say the prayer and I went to church today, so now I can go do whatever I want to do. But no condemnation. I'll just live however I want to live. The Bible would say that that mindset, that person, does not have a relationship with God. But with God, that person is now saved. This person can probably do whatever I want to. But John would say that person does not know the Lord. But for those of us who are in Christ, and we struggle with maybe elevating our children, our marriage, we, ele- we struggle with elevating God, we struggle with elevating things, other things that we'll pursue more than God, God's word today would be no condemnation for you in Christ if you're in Christ Jesus. Just come home, come back. Confess it, you don't have to confess it to me, confess it to yourself, confess it to, to God. But my concern, my prayer, and my hope is that we don't love anything about the church more than we love God. It's the money that comes in, it's about the kingdom. It's not about Gadsby First, it's about the kingdom. It's the talents that are in this church, it's not about Gadsby First, it's about the kingdom. Everything that we do, every step should be with the kingdom in mind. Why don't we long for and yearn for more of God? Because we have elevated other things higher than Him. May our hearts change in that regard. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being God who pursues His children. Thank you for your patience with us when we were impatient with you. God, would you forgive us? God, would you forgive me for loving things more than you, for pursuing things more than you? God, I pray we won't seek for anything to uh, give us, to sustain all of our joy and our hope. God, that can only be found in you. God, thank you for loving us enough to encourage us, to convict us, to wound us, to heal us, to empower us. God, thank you for recapturing the heart of your children. And I pray that everything that we have lived for you, God, turn into praise.